thank you for tuning in. We trust you will feel encouraged, uplifted, and inspired to build God's kingdom with us. Enjoy the message. And this morning, my theme is, I am willing to lay down my life for you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we are entering into one of the most important things in the calendar of the church. The fact that Jesus, you lived, you died, you rose again, and through this you give us hope for eternal life. We thank you that our focus this week is not so much on the virus and the stuff going around in this world, but our focus is on the greatest act, the most powerful act, the act that you use to draw men and women to yourself, the act of salvation. This morning, we honor you. We glorify you. Today, we celebrate you. And tonight, we're going to go to bed with this knowledge in our heart that those of us who have made a commitment to you are saved and we are secure in our salvation and we have eternal life. In Jesus' name, bless your word to us as we fellowship and as we listen and as we think about your word for us and the implications for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to read from John chapter 12, verse 20 to 26. So I'm going to ask you to open your Bible quickly. I read from the NIV, uh, New International Version. You may use any one that you would like. John chapter 12, uh, from verse 20 to 26. The heading in my Bible says, Jesus predicts his death. In verse 20 it says, Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip who was from Bethsaida in Galilee with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. That's a fair request, isn't it? I mean, I think it's great. We would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus that these people wanted to see him. Verse 23. Jesus replied, very strange words, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor those who serve me. Folks, I want to take you maybe a couple of weeks back into uh, time here, just before Jesus was crucified. It seems like this, this whole couple of weeks was just weeks of death. And in that same book we read of the authorities after Jesus rose him uh, from the dead, the authorities were plotting to kill Lazarus. We read of Judas trying to kill Jesus. And in the meantime, now in a home with friends and disciples, there was a friend of Jesus, Mary, who came with very expensive perfumes and ointment and poured it out on his head. Some people did not understand that. 
And up to now, Jesus was telling them, and, and, and time and time he said, the hour for the Son of Man to be glorified has not yet come. But it seems like the clock struck, strikes, and it's right on time. It's 12 o'clock, and we hear Jesus from his own lips say these words, the hour has come. Where before he said the hour has not come, he now says the hour has come. For the Son of Man. Look at these astonishing words that Jesus uses. And I, I just want to stop there a little bit because uh, 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 when you stop there, it means something very different to you if you don't go further and explain the passage. It says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, folks, we're speaking about Jesus, an icon in the days that he lived in, a miracle worker, an esteemed teacher. And he says these words, the hour has come so that the Son of Man may be glorified. I want to read a couple of passages on, then I'll come back here. A couple of chapters on in John, then I'll come back to this passage. In John chapter 17, a couple of passages later, it says, after Jesus said this, he looks towards heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come, glorify your Son, that your Son may be glorifying you for you have granted him authority over all people that that he might give eternal life to all you have given him now this is eternal life that they know you the one and true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me and now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had before the world began. You know what? If I ask you the question, what would it mean in your mind to glorify a person? In my mind, I, I, I would simply think maybe if we glorify somebody as, as we make them famous or acknowledge their fame, uh, maybe to glorify means to lift somebody up. Maybe it means to recognize a great achievement or to exalt them. Humanly speaking, honestly, there is not much glory in seeing your hero being killed. And that's exactly what Jesus is preparing his disciples and his friends for. And he's saying, I'm going to be glorified. And then he goes on and he speaks a little bit about how this is going to happen and what is important about his death. And I'll come to that in a moment. But, but humanly speaking, my friend, there is no glory or not much glory in your hero being killed. Only terrible people, nasty people, Glory in the death of good people. The men and women who loved Jesus would see him die on a torture instrument that the Romans invented to terrorize their enemies. They would see the Romans take Jesus' life. And before that, they would see the Romans take his dignity and make him a public spectacle. And, and, and with this, they would intimidate those who were hearing and listening. They would want their hearts to tremble at this state-sponsored act of terrorism, this awful act that brought so much suffering to people and to the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and I can just see the Roman soldiers take these crosses and jam them into the holes that they've prepared. Like scarecrows, these crosses would go up and they would say to people, maybe without words, Caesar is Lord and don't you forget that. 
The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified, Jesus said. And, I, and if I was a disciple, I would have been probably like Philip and Andrew and the others with some kind of a, an, a, a look on my face, a puzzled look on my face. What do you mean the hour has come? Uh, a little while ago you said to us that the hour has not yet come. Now you're saying the hour has come. What do you mean? And now he's talking in riddles and he, and he does and he, and he then goes on and he tells them a story that's like a riddle. And, and I just think maybe these disciples were now more puzzled. Wouldn't you have been if Jesus looked at the puzzled face when he said, uh, uh, the hour has not yet come. And then he goes on to say these words. He says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much Fruit. What on earth I would have thought, Jesus, what on earth do you mean by this? The hour has come and now you give me a lesson uh, in farming unless a, a, um, a kernel of wheat dies, falls into the ground and dies. It remains. What, what are you trying to tell me, the Lord Jesus? What are you trying to tell us? I don't know if they fully understood then or even later the implications of what Jesus had explained to them at that time, a grain of wheat had to die. He was speaking about himself. He says this wheat had to be buried in the ground. He was speaking about himself. He says unless that grain would die, there would be no harvest. And the, the fact is this, is that you don't get a harvest of plenty before there is a death of someone. Before someone gives up something or before they themselves give themselves up. That's what Jesus was telling them, and we'll, we'll bring that back into our own lives in a moment, uh, a little bit later. In case you were wondering, I would like to give you a lesson in farming today as well. How does wheat grow? Very simply, it's this. This is how it works. A farmer would plow the soil. He would break it up, and then he would dig like shallow trenches in the soil and creating beds for the seeds. He would then go in a primitive way in those days and one by one he would space them and drop these seeds into this trench. He would then cover it and take the loose soil that he had just taken away out of the trench and cover it and then he would pray or hope for rain or irrigate. In Jesus' day, farmers would drop one grain at a time but today, many farmers still do it. And even if you don't do it by hand, sophisticated and large farmers still do it. They have a machine. But one by one, the seed is dropped into the ground, covered and watered. And the principle here remains the same. A single grain that dies, that is buried into the ground, that receives moisture and nutrients to itself, it then starts growing and suddenly little, little hairs, tiny little roots go down into the soil. And then after a little while, something pops out and it grows and it produces much fruit. That's what Jesus is saying to them. One has to die for many fruit to be born. You know what? It is so remarkable when you think of this illustration that a dead seed generates life and especially that one dead seed generates so much life. 
It is estimated that if you use 10 kilograms of maize, of the seeds, and you sow it on one acre, that you could then harvest between 50 and 90 kilograms of maize. One seed producing many. Now let me tell you something about death as well. You can go buy a millicop next to the road there and, and, and take it as green as it is, take the leaves off of however you want to do it and plonk it into the ground. It will not grow because it is not dead enough. And so Jesus said, it must die. So when you sow these seeds, it is stone hard. You'll break your teeth on it. And that is what they put into the ground. And that is what starts growing with moisture and water. And that is what eventually produces many. Now, I find it so amazing. I find that an absolute miracle. And that miracle still feeds millions of people, nations of people on an annual basis. You see, Jesus did know something about farming. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. You see, what Jesus was saying about himself is that I have to die in order to multiply myself. He was giving them a lesson in multiplication, but maybe not a kind of lesson you and I would thought he would Teach. The disciples did not get it at this time. If the Son of Man will die and fall into the earth in an event so devastating, wouldn't all he have done and taught and the miracles and signs and wonders, wouldn't it all just be in vain? Wouldn't it just be a story like any other story that just come to such an abrupt, violent, unjust, cruel end? But Jesus says that event, that pain, that suffering, that dying, that going into the ground, something is going to come out of here. And in that and through that, the Son of Man will be glorified. You see, no one understood how dying on a cross would be glorious. No one understood that. It is like saying in today's language that something amazing and fantastic is going to come out of, out, of, out of your death. I'm going to put you into an electric chair or I'm going to put you in front of a firing squad and something amazing, glorifying is going to, it doesn't make sense. It wouldn't make sense to you and me. You see, glory in the, in, in the cross of Jesus sounds inhumane. Jürgen Moltmann wrote these words and he said, Jesus will be glorified between, not between two candles on an altar, but between two thieves in a place named the skull. There's very little glory in my mind. Jesus, the friend of sinners, will be crucified between two sinners in a God-forsaken place called the skull. Jesus wants us, my dear friends, to use his glory, this cruel act, in a way that would lead our lives in pro to produce many others. You see, Jesus, shown, uh, he, he would sow his own body, his own self, a single grain into the ground so that it sends out roots, it sends out uh, stalks, uh, something grows out of the ground that has the power to feed many hungry souls through the ages. And that's you and me. The power of that one grain dying has fed my soul since 1974, has fed your 
your soul, maybe for years or months as well. That one act of dying. The gospel still has that same message. Across the centuries, it still says, one man, many saved. You see, the Bible says God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. How strange is this? For those of you on life insurance, how strange is this that there would be such great benefits, death benefits in a crucifixion? But that's the glory. And you and I, as we're sitting here, maybe most of us have experienced that glory for ourselves. You see, in the cross of Jesus, we see the Son of Man being treated in the most terrible way by His own creation. We see the Son of God hang onto the cross while these enemies beat and stab and will and deal. And while they're doing this stuff, dealing even with his clothes, he breathes out and in his last few words, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. You see in the cross of Jesus, my dear friends, we see the Lamb of God taking away the sins of the world. And instead of paying them or paying what they deserve, instead of repaying them for their acts of sin, he forgives and absorbs the terrible evil without passing anything on back to them. Whilst this, he cuts the line of paying back evil with evil and stretches forgiveness to its absolute limits. Somehow, somehow, this dark, painful event becomes a magnet. A magnet for people who see God at work. God willing to pay any price, absorbing any evil, suffering any humiliation. If only these things would save sinners like you and me. How wonderful, how glorious when we think of this, uh, this weekend. And, and like I said, away from the virus at the moment to the real, wonderful, most special thing that we celebrate today. How wonderful this story. And maybe you're sitting in your home there today and you're saying to yourself, man, I feel like shouting hallelujah. I would shout hallelujah because of his grace and his mercy. And maybe you, you even want to do it in your home today and let your neighbors hear it. Jesus, my sacrifice, one death that has produced seed in me. But you know what, my friends? Let's not stop there and rejoicing in the fact of what Jesus had done for us. Because he goes on and he teaches a little bit more. And he says these words, but, 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 whoever serves me must Follow me. And where I am, there my servant will also be. You see, Jesus wants us to share in the glory of the cross. Not only personal, but for the sake of others as well. You see, I think as believers, and many of us are, will be guilty of this, we have hardened our hearts. And that's why he says to his disciples as well, the person who loves his life will lose it. But he who hates his life will keep it to eternal life. We know what that word hates mean, hate means. It doesn't mean I've got to hate myself and hate this life. But it means that my love for God outweighs everything and anything else. He says his servants must follow him. In other words, do as I do. You see, we like the resurrection part, don't we? 
We like to think that Jesus died so that I can have eternal life. We, we like to think of the benefits, don't we? We like to think of Jesus came to give me this and that and so on and bring me peace and happiness and joy and all that stuff. We like to think about the benefits, the resurrection part. But not so much about the dying part. See, Jesus wants us to give our lives. He wants us to give our lives so that new life will spring up for many. But what we continue to do and through the ages many disciples have done that is we cling not only to our own life but we also, we, we, we cling and, and we like, we like a, a, a milli that doesn't want to dry up and doesn't want to go back in the ground and doesn't want to be seed and doesn't, we don't want our lives to be sown for the sake of others. We're not only clinging to the old life from time to time with all ten fingers but we also just won't die and be buried so that we can produce a harvest of souls. Jesus wants to use dead people to produce much life. I'm not talking about physically dead, obviously. But we just refuse to die. We speak about I and me and my needs and, and all that kind of stuff continuously. We just refuse to lay down our lives for others. We only will, will, will look for benefits. This is a testing time we're going through, church. This is a testing time. And I think God is refocusing us to say, hey, what is the purpose and the plan for your life? The purpose is that you would be my servant. The, the plan is that you would do as I did and die to yourself and produce much life through that as well. You see, to get bread, you have to thresh some kernels. To get wine, you have to crush some grapes. To get new life in union with Jesus Christ, the old, old life has to be threshed and buried we don't, we don't get life if we don't give life. We don't get new life. We don't get many come to Jesus unless there is some who are willing to die, die to themselves. The gospel says that not even Jesus got a resurrection without death. He had to die before he could get the resurrection. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it cannot bear any fruit. Now, I can read so many scriptures that speaks to us about denying ourselves, and I'll read some of you. Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I don't live anymore, but the life I live is a life of faith. A life of giving. Luke 9, 23. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. That's death. And take up his cross and follow me. A death, a dying has to take place before we will see Many come to Christ. Mark 8.35, whoever uh, would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. What are we living for? There's so many scriptures. I, I, can, I can read 1 Corinthians 15.31. Paul says, I protest, brothers, but 
by my pride in you, but I have in Jesus Christ our Lord, I die every day. I die every day. Philippians 1 verse 22, he sa- 21, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And in John chapter 3 verse 30, it says, he must increase, but I must decrease. You see, the, the kind of Christianity we are taught is too much about ourselves. It's too much about living. It's too much about the benefit. It's not, too, it's not, it's not much about the death, the dying, the giving up for the sake of others. It is, it is life for me and not life for others. That's the motto today. And Jesus says, unless a kernel dies and goes into the ground, it will not bear fruit. My friends, there is power and glory, but there is also death and resurrection and fruit in this weekend story. There is power and glory. There is death and resurrection and fruit in this weekend story. I wonder if the farmer had to walk into our homes today, the farmer, the Lord Jesus Christ, and look at his church. Would he see seeds that have been willing to die, to become nothing for the sake of the gospel, selfless seeds? Or would he see seeds who live so much for what they can get out of the gospel and their own glory? Will he see dead seeds dying to themselves, who have reproduced much fruit when he walked through the maize field in our homes today. What would he see? Truly, truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground, into the earth and dies, it remains a single grain. But if he dies, it bears much fruit now and forever. That's the message. That's the message this weekend. It is not just a message of awe and and worship in, in what Jesus did, but also a message of taking stock, whether I'm willing to, as he said, follow him and do what he did. Father, help us in Jesus' name. Help us, Father God, to live the gospel like you want us to. We rejoice, we are marveling, we are thankful, we celebrate, we shout hallelujah because you as the seed died for many, for me, for us. But oh God, we want to take as serious the part that we need to play. The seed, Ruloff, has to die so that many would come into a wonderful relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. May we live so much less for ourselves and so much more for you. May when you come for us, Lord Jesus, whether it's today, tomorrow, in 10 years or 50 years time, may you find us surrounded with souls that have come to know you through our lives. We ask that in Jesus' name, amen.